Good morning. Short night. Yeah. <laughs> Very awake. That's good. <laughs> it would have been good if he had said one, two, and cut. Then you would have connected, you know. We started um, a new series last week, uh, which is based on the one another statements in the Bible. And today I want to talk to you about a crucial one, which it's very interesting that it was just mentioned on that video, unity with one another, um, the crucial need for unity in the church. Uh, I want you to hear the words of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, uh, verses 5 to 7 say, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Did you hear Paul's prayer? See, he first prays that we will have the same attitude that Christ had toward each other. And if we did that, we would be of one mind. See, that doesn't mean that we're going to have the same opinion about everything or the same viewpoint about everything, but it does mean that we would be centered on the same Savior and find unity there. He prays that we would learn to accept each other just as Jesus accepted us so that we would unite our voices in praise. If you think about it, that is the summary of what Jesus came to teach us. It was a radical, counter-cultural message. It's definitely contrary to everything that society pushes on us today. You know, society pushes the, the, the importance of independence. You know, the, uh, we worship in our society, independence. But God says that we were created to live in, in community. We were not wired to be independent. We were wired to be interdependent, to be connected with each other. So what this means is that in order for you to fulfill God's purposes in your life, you are going to need other people. We can't do what God expects of us by ourselves. And, and as you will see in this message, uh, unity means community, and community is God's answer to most of our problems. So last week, Pastor Mark talked about the importance of loving one another. You know, when we started uh, studying the one another's, you know, for this series, I realized that all the other one another's stems from the first one, from love one another, and you will see how that plays out during this message. But today, I want to analyze what God says about the type of community that I need and you need to have unity with. Let me pray for us very fast, and we'll start analyzing this subject. Father, I just thank you so much for your love. I thank you for this time that you allow us to have together studying your word. And I ask you, Father, that you would just speak through me. Uh, don't let me get on the way. Please talk to the hearts of each person that is listening to these words. You know where everybody's at. Talk to us according to what we need to hear. Put ourselves in your hands, Father, in the beautiful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so there is five things 
in a community that you need to be united with. First one says we need to be united in a community that walks together. We need to walk together. In Colossians 2, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You know, so we need to walk in him. The Bible compares our, our spiritual life with a walk because life is a journey. You know, it tells us that we need to walk in love, walk in light, walk in obedience. But what you definitely need to understand is that this journey was not planned for us to walk it alone. And just for the record, uh, this has nothing to do with marriage, okay? When I say you need to walk this life but not alone, I'm not talking about you need to get married. I know a lot of people that are single for different reasons, people that never got married or people that lost their mate or that the, their divorce they made. But today they are in, in deep spiritual community with other people. And I know a lot of married people that are desperately lonely. So you need to understand marriage is not the solution to loneliness. Community is. Of course, you know, the ideal would be that in your marriage, you would have communion with your mate. But marriage by itself is not a solution, okay? So why should we walk together? Let me give you three fast reasons why walking in community is better. First of all, it's safer. I mean, you don't need to be a genius to know that there's safety in numbers. Second, you are more likely to persevere. You know, if you do sports, you know this. You know, I, I practice Taekwondo in Cancun, and I go twice a week to practice, and there's like six of us adults, and we push each other completely hard. And when I travel, my teacher says, practice the same way when you're away. You think I practice the same way when I'm by myself? <laughs> no, no, when you're with another group that pushes you, you know, you, you persevere, okay? So, so there's always strength in, in groups. And last, it's wiser. You know, uh, uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, victory is won through many advisors. So the more people are involved in your journey, especially if you get involved with people that go a little bit farther ahead of you, spiritually speaking, you're going to be surrounded by wiser people and that is going to rub on you. You know, one of the things that I love about the church is that when it's done properly, it, it truly becomes family. The Bible teaches us that God created for us two types of families. You know, we have our physical family and we have our spiritual family. Now, it is just natural, you know, the tendency of human beings is to connect with your physical family. But God says, no, I want you to be connected with your spiritual family. Why? Why is this so important? Because it's the only way to grow, you know, connected to other people. In Colossians 3.16, the apostle Paul wrote these words. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. See, we're supposed to teach and counsel each other. You know, the wisdom that we get as, as, as we're walking spiritually with Christ, we're supposed to then pass it on to other people. Now, clearly, that is impossible to happen in a gathering of this size. See, because walk together means do life together. And if you're only coming every Sunday, and that's your only connection to the body of Christ, you know, you're not doing really life together. 
Because this is not communion. This is, this is a crowd, and we come and worship. But there's no way that you can find out what's going on in my life. I cannot find out what's going on in yours. What are you struggling with? What are your battles? How can I pray for you? How can I be there for you? You know, you need to have this uh, community in a smaller group. This is why we call our small groups small groups, you know, because you need to have a connection in a smaller group so you can really connect. You know, just yesterday, I was reading a um, research that uh, the Harvard School of Psychology just put out. Uh, this guy started a study that started in 1938, and it's still going on today. And, and what they're trying to find out in this study is what makes people happy. And it says in the study that they gathered records from 724 people from all over the world. And they go and ask them detailed questions about their lives in two-year intervals. You know, so every two years, they go back and they start asking them questions. And of course, many of them, some of them have passed away. Some of them are still in the study. Some of them entered later. But as they started getting into the late stages of life, they started asking them questions about retirement. Do you know what they found was the number one challenge that people faces in retirement? For a long time, people thought that it was stop working. They said, no, if you stop working, you die. You know, when they asked these people about retirement, they, they said, do you miss the work? Do you they said, no, I don't miss work at all. You know what they miss? Their relationships that sustain them through work. The people that was not able to replace the relationships that sustain them throughout their working years were completely miserable and depressed. The ones that did the best were the ones that found ways to cultivate deep relationships. That's not just true in retirement. That's true in life. Because you see, put this in your notes, community is God's answer to loneliness. This is what God did for us. The Bible says that I need people in order to grow and I need the connection with them because without them, you know, I feel miserable and I can't grow. And you may wonder, why can't I grow by myself? Well, according to Jesus, everything is about love. Remember, what, just last week, Pastor Mark mentioned the two most important commandments that Jesus gave us, love God above everything else and love each other as, you know, love the neighbors as yourself, you know? So God is loving. What he wants you to learn is to love him and love each other. And when we do that, what the Bible says that happens is growth. When we love each other, really love each other, as you will see in a minute, what's going to happen is that we're both going to grow. See, um, the Bible uses our body as an analogy for the church. It says that it's formed by a lot of members, but it's just one body. Look at what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.16. He, talking about God, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So when we walk together and everyone does its part, we're helping each other to grow, and then the church is healthy and it's full of love. This is why you desperately need to connect in a small group. There are small groups. There's groups of people that are getting together every week, and they're learning about each other and they're strengthening each other, and you need one of those. You can't learn community without being in the community. 
And I know some people say, well, you know, it's just that I have looked and near my home, there's no small group. Have you considered opening your own home for a small group? So you don't have this in your notes, but 1 Peter 4, 9 says, open your homes to each other without complaining. You know, open your home, connect with people. Okay, so the first thing you need is a community that walks together. Number two, we need to be united in a community that works together. See, God left you on this earth after saving you to do a specific job that only you can do. See, in Ephesians 2, if you read um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it tells you how you were saved. You were saved by grace through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. But in Ephesians 2, 10, it tells us what for. Look at what it says. For we are God's handiwork. That means handcrafted. God made you by hand, okay? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So before you were born, God decided everything that he needed to put inside of you according to his plans for you to do certain works here on earth. So every time you use that shape that God gave you, your abilities, your desires, the experiences that have shaped you during your life, the people that he put around you to shape you, every time you use all of that and use it to serve God, you're fulfilling your purpose on earth, the one that he placed you here to do. And the Bible calls that your good works. I hope that by now you have realized that this life is not the main event. You know, this is just preparation for eternity. When you and I get to heaven, we're going to be there serving God. The Bible says that he has work for us to be done in heaven. And I know I just disappointed a lot of you that thought that you were going to get to heaven and now it was going to be retirement, but it's not. You're going to get there and you're going to have to work. And what he wants you to do is to start practicing what you're going to be doing there, but here on earth. The thing is, while we're here on earth, it's really hard because we're fallen creatures and working with each other is hard. And you know what happens? We're worn out. You know, we get tired because we have to deal with each other. Some of you came exhausted today because you have to be dealing with other people at work. Now, when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. You know, we're going to spend an eternity working in perfect conditions, you know, in the presence of God and with perfect people. You know why it's going to be so perfect there? Because every single person is going to be doing their part and they're going to be doing it for God because they're going to be in the presence of God. So he wants you to start training, practicing here. This is why the Bible tells you that while you're here, you have to work as if you were working for the Lord. You need to learn to work well with others, to create meaningful relationships even as you work. You know, places where people help each other instead of just burn each other out. See, Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. You know, that verse is the basis for a concept that we call today synergy. You know, when we work as a team with synergy, we produce better work. We produce better results. And you can see synergy in nature. You know, have you ever read documentaries or, or seen documentaries about the Canadian geese and the way they fly? 
So if you see them fly, you're going to observe very interesting things. First of all, they always uh, fly in a V formation. Have you seen that? How they fly like in a V formation? You know, some of them are making noise as they're flying. Every once in a while, they break formation and they form again. And one side is always longer than the other. You know why those things are? See, they, they fly in the V formation because the bird that is in the very front, it's carrying with the heaviest load of work. It's flying against the wind. So he's cutting the wind for the ones behind, and the ones just hide behind his wings. And then they're flying, resting as they fly, and the one that is getting tired, it's in front. And the ones that are making noise, it's because they're cheering the one in front. You know, they're like, come on, you can do it. Yeah, fly, fly. You know, they keep flying. And when the one that it's leading gets tired, he just breaks for immersion, and somebody else takes the lead, and they keep going. And, and one side is longer than the other. You know why? Because there's more geese in it. It's a very, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, they, 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 they do it without thinking, so they don't count. <laughs> they, just, they just line up, you know. But you know what they have discovered? They have discovered that when, when they fly like that, they can fly up to 70% longer distances than flying by themselves. That's true in your life as well. When you learn to work properly with other people, you produce a better result. And remember that we're talking about growth. You can grow spiritually much faster when you're working together, when you're serving together. Okay, so if you want to avoid burnout, see, communities, that's answered to fatigue. You know, when you work in a community, you avoid burnout. If that community is a community that is working as for God. So if you're tired physically or spiritually, you have to ask yourself the question, could it be that I'm trying to do this all by myself? So, uh, Galatians 6.10 says, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. I love the message version because they put the name of our church in it. You know, close to us in the community of faith. So work together. Number three, we need to be united in a community that watches out for each other. You know, I'm talking here about people that cares for you, that is willing to be there to, to, to defend you, to, you know, to stand up for you, but also that loves you enough to confront you. That if they see you, that all of a sudden you're starting to take the wrong path, they will say something to you. And we all need these. Because sometimes this happens and we don't even notice. And, and, and some of us, or most of us, have blind spots, you know, things in our character that we cannot see, but somebody from the outside can see clearly. But they need to love us enough to say it. See, Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think how countercultural that is. Look at our society today. It's, it's all about me. My desires, my ambitions, my hurts, my interests. This is why there's so much dysfunctionality in society. And since everybody knows that everybody's for themselves, it's hard to trust anyone else. You don't know why they're really doing what they're doing. But the Bible says we need each other to watch out for each other. So one of the things that I loved when we lived here in Houston a bunch of years ago uh, is that in our neighborhood, we had a neighborhood watch. Do you have that in your neighborhood? You know, when you drive through a neighborhood and you see those signs that say neighborhood watch, that, that's a symbol of community. 
It's a sign that says, here, we're watching for each other. You do something here, somebody's going to see you, and we're going to do something about it. You know, we had it on our street, and I loved it, because every time that we traveled, which was often, I would just go to the neighbor and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a week. If you see somebody inside my house, something's wrong. You know, do something about it. Call the police or something, because no one should be there. So I guess the question for you is, do you have a neighborhood watch for your spirit? Someone that you have given the authority, just like to a neighbor, say, hey, if you see an intruder in my soul, say something. You know, tell me. That don't, don't leave me behind. You know, please say something. Someone that is concerned and will be willing to open your eyes when you're under attack. Because the enemy attacks us. You know, after um, uh, September 11, after the terrorist attacks, they, um, they asked a commission to do a report on, on what had just happened, you know. And, and when they put out the report, I don't know if you read it, but the most surprising thing to me is how similar the report, you know, uh, talks about this, what happened, and compares to our spiritual life. I'm going to read you parts of what they wrote, and just think about how close it is to home. It says this, we learned we have an enemy that is sophisticated, patient, disciplined, and lethal. He rallies support by redressing political grievances, but his hostility towards us and our values is limitless. It makes no distinction between military and civilian targets. Collateral damage is not in its lexicon. We learned that we did not understand how grave this threat can be, so we did not adjust our plans and practices to deter or defeat it. The test before us now is to sustain the unity of purpose. That, that almost comes from the Bible, you know, <laughs> and meet the challenges now confronting us. We need to design a balanced strategy. Listen to the two sides of this balance. A balanced strategy for the long haul to attack terrorists while at the same time protecting ourselves against future attack. This is what the Bible talks about. When Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, it means the church is supposed to be advancing, We're not supposed to be just defending ourselves from the attacks. We're supposed to be attacking. But at the same time, you have to know that you're going to be attacked. The enemy is trying to attack you at all times. And, and how does he attack? Well, he does it in very different ways. See, he, he first tries to, to, to make you fall into sin. And it depends on your circumstances. You know, if, if, if your marriage is weak, he starts presenting people around for you to start chasing the wrong thing. You know, if your finances are hard, he'll start presenting opportunities to solve your financial problems the wrong way. You know, he tries to make you sin. But if he cannot make you sin, he's going to try to distract you or discourage you. And you know what I have learned? He always hits in the weakest spot. You know, if, if, if your marriage... You know, it starts shaking, he'll attack your marriage. If your marriage is strong, he'll attack your children. If your children are strong, he'll attack your finances. If your finances are strong, he'll attack your health. And he's just looking for a weak spot. And especially when something big is about to happen spiritually in your life, he will attack more viciously. See, it is no surprise to me that both our kids 
lost their sight. And my father passed away in 2017. You know what happened in 2018? We finished our building. During 2017, we were at the breaking point where we were like struggling and we didn't even know we were going to be able to finish it. And at that moment, all the attacks came. He was trying to destroy us, distract us, discourage us. See, I think that a lot of Christians are defeated because they are trying to face these attacks alone. You're not alone. See, he distracts you from God. When the pain is so strong that you lose sight of God and you just can't see the pain, you need people to pull you up. You know, the, the Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Solomon is talking there about the Christian life, but Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. You are going to be attacked. Do you have people to watch out for you? See, if you're walking this journey alone, you're the perfect target for the enemy. The Bible describes Satan as a lion that is roaming the earth, watching out for somebody to devour. And you know what predators do? They isolate the weak ones, and then they devour them. Are you walking alone? See, community is God's answer to defeat. That's what the community is there. That's the foundation of the small group, to connect with people that will make you strong and motivate you to walk and bring you up when you're in pain or help you see when you're walking off the path. They help you, you know, when you're knocked off and they get you up and they keep you up. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. See, spiritual life, it's kind of like boxing. You don't lose because they knock you down. You lose if you don't get back up. Do you have people that will help you get back up? You need a small group that watches out for you. Number four, we need to be united in a community that cries together. You know, we, we really need this. See, there are certain things that are going to happen in your life that you shouldn't go through alone. This to me is particularly concerning as a pastor because I have seen this so often. You know, there, there are tragedies in the life of us human beings that are inevitable. What's inevitable is that you're alone when they happen. Just as you prepare for retirement because you know it may happen, you have to prepare for these things. And you know when you have to start preparing? Now, today. You can't wait until these things happen. You, you, you need a, a network of people that is there ready to catch you when things get really dark. That is the providence of God in the church. This is why the church was created, a group of believers. And listen, you don't need hundreds of them. You need a small group. You know, six to eight people that know you and you know them And you see constantly, and you know exactly what's going on in their lives, and they know exactly what's going on in yours, and you give them authority, and they give you authority, and then they need together, and, and you go as a real family. This is what should happen. See, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
This is one of the things that I love most about our church. See, our small groups, you know, are truly families. Many of the people in Cancun, you know, Cancun is a place that was created from nothing. There was nothing there, and they decided to build a place that was a good hub to arrive from different parts of the world. So most of the people that is there came to Cancun. So there, our families become our churches. And this is what has happened in Cancun, and it's amazing. We're not perfect. You know, we all make mistakes. But I have seen also something else play out sometimes that it's very interesting, you know. I have had people come to the church sometimes for years, and then they go through a horrible time, or they end up in the hospital, or something like that happens. And then they come to church and complain to me. And they say, I was in the hospital for three weeks. No one came to visit me. And you ask them, like, were you in a small group? Were you serving somewhere? Were you meeting with anyone outside of Sunday? Well, no. How did you expect us to know? Did you call anyone? Well, I didn't know who to call. You need to connect. It is on your side of the court. The church provides these things for you, but you need to take advantage of them. You know, to be honest with you, and I have shared this with you many times, there have been moments in our lives that I don't know what would have happened to us had we not had the network that we have. Our group in Cancun, our relationship with pastors Mark and Laura have strengthened us to go through some of the worst times of our lives. And that's God's plan for the church. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That means that community has got answered to despair. You don't have to despair. You don't have to do this alone. You know, there's people around you that are willing to do life with you. So you have to be there. You have to be able to cry together. And just my advice, because sometimes, you know why people is afraid of these situations when somebody else is going through, like they lose a, a loved one or, or somebody just got terribly sick, like what happened with our kids. And people are afraid to get close to you. They don't know what to say. Let me give you a piece of advice. They just need you to be there. You don't have to say anything. The last thing they need is a sermon. You don't need to preach to them. You just need to hug them and cry with them. That's what we need. Feel your love. And that's what you need. Do you have it? Are there people in your life willing to say, cry with you? In our church, it's very easy because I'm crying all the time, so they all know that we're a bunch of criers. But you need a group of people that will be willing to do this for you. Okay, stop making me cry. Number five. Last, we need to be united in community that loves one another. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, Pastor Mark just went through the whole thing of love last week. I know. But see, you have to understand why this is so important. See, we all have a mission on this earth. Okay, do you remember what the Great Commission is, what Jesus said before he left? He first said, go and make disciples of all nations. So our job is to go and make disciples of all nations, okay? But then later on, in, in the book of Acts, you know, the first chapter of Acts, he's about to ascend, and he says what that means. 
He says, you will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem and in Samaria and Judea and the, the, to the ends of the earth, you have to be my witnesses. But then, you know, we find in John chapter 13, the best way to be witnesses for Christ. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the best way to impact the world for Jesus is to show the world how we love each other. In other words, you have to travel and be this type of people, this type of person for other people. You have to be willing to walk with other people and work with other people and, and watch out for other people and suffer with other people because that's how you show love. And this is what we want the church to be known for. This is what impacts the community when they say, see how they love each other. How they watch out for each other. How are they there for, for, for each other? You know, I have asked myself the question, why are there people that would rather not connect? Because there's people that come to a church every Sunday, and they've been coming for a long time, and they refuse to connect. You know, and after talking to some of them, I realized, you know why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid to be judged, to be criticized maybe to be rejected. But you have to understand this. If you have Jesus in your heart, then there is no way that you can be afraid of this. Because the Bible says that love kicks out fear. See, Philippians 1.27 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You have it in you to have the strength to go and connect. And it may be awkward in the beginning because you don't know the people, but then you will get to know them. They will get to know you, and then you will have a team that loves you enough to do all these other things. You cannot allow fear to stop you because community, it's actually God's answer to fear. The community will make you strong. And you will lose your fear. Close your eyes for just a minute before we pray. I want you to think of this. You have a mission on this earth. And it was planned by God for you. And of all the people that God could have picked to be here and listen to these words, he chose you. You're not here by accident. He knew you were going to be here. And if you're here, it means God is ready to use you. But the only way that you're going to be truly effective is if you connect. If you truly are united in community with your church family. Father, I just want to pray for each one of these brothers and sisters of mine who are here because they love you and they worship you and they want to keep growing in you, but also because they want to glorify you. And I know, Father, that the only way that they can do that is if they're willing to walk with their family, to learn to work with them properly, to watch out for them and have people to watch out for them. And 
and to cry and celebrate together. Father, help us all to make disciples by loving each other. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.